Hi all, we're back. As ever, I'm your host and producer, Caden Pradhan, and today I'm joined by Bhavya Surapanani. Hi. And Harrison Coleman. Hi, everyone. And for the first time, we welcome a guest star to the podcast, Aidan Abraham. Hello. Well, it has been a very grave week indeed. An unprecedented invasion into the Eastern European country of Ukraine by Russian forces has left many of us in the West feeling shocked and astonished by the events that are occurring there. A basic rundown, well, Russian troops entered on the 24th of February 2022 uh, into the north of the country via Belarus, moving towards the capital Kiev, and also in the east, the southeast, and the very south in Crimea. It has been a very major conflict indeed, with casualties on both sides, and it is the largest conventional conflict in Europe since World War II. Harrison, just give me a rundown of what you know about the events that are unfolding and how you think it might progress from here. Well, as you said, on February 24th, Russian troops invaded Ukraine from three directions, the the north, the south, and the east. And Ukraine has since then been fighting the Russians with the help of many in the international community, mostly through wartime aid. And... In many cases, the Ukrainians are still control of their country and many and many large cities, including the capital, Kiev. But the Russians do have superior manpower and are advancing on many fronts. As of right now, the Russians control much of the coastal areas of Ukraine, the eastern breakaway areas in the Donbass region, and many scattered areas in the north, including the the suburbs of Kiev, which is the, the, the site of, many, of much intense fighting. That's right. And folks, I should emphasize that we are recording this on Sunday the 27th, so information that we state here could go irrelevant very quickly. I hope that this will come out very soon after Sunday, but in case the situation has changed, we apologize. Please go online and check the latest developments wherever you are and whenever you are. Bavia, tell me about anything you can add to what Harrison has said so far. Yeah, so Ukraine and Russia's conflict tensions have been high ever since the annexation of Crimea in 2014. But back in fall 2021, Russia placed 100,000 troops near the border of Ukraine, and that was kind of the start of the current escalation we're experiencing right now. And when those troops were placed there, Russia and NATO countries, including including the United States, had talks over how to de-escalate tensions, and Russia put forward some security guarantees they wanted from NATO countries, including preventing Ukraine from entering NATO, which was a guarantee that was not met by NATO countries. On February 21st, this past Monday, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, recognized the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk in Ukraine, and then three days later, as Harrison stated, on Thursday, the invasion into Ukraine began. Absolutely, Bavia. And according to the United Kingdom, which is not actively involved and its information tends to be fairly reliable, more than 450 soldiers from the Russian army have been killed and almost 140 in the Ukrainian army have been killed. So more casualties on the Russian side than the Ukrainian side, according to the UK government. Street fighting has occurred in many parts of the country, which has sent much of the citizens into a terror. In Kiev, there is currently a, a curfew being imposed by the mayor, so individuals have to be inside during the night time, or else they may be considered Russian saboteurs, Russian agents. Many citizens of many cities have fled underground, either to basements, 
bomb shelters, the metro system, in an effort to avoid the bombings which have been very, very prevalent during the night time because Russia tends to introduce its ballistic uh, missiles and cruise missiles when it's dark and then push forward on land during the day with its foot soldiers. Aidan, is there any information about this which we haven't discussed yet? Uh, yeah, the first thing I wanted to talk about was probably um, kind of, uh, you know, increased sanctions on Russia, but also how uh, kind of, uh, you know, the West is unlikely to uh, really crack down on them because we are, as you know, reliant on Russian natural gas. And I guess there are some ideas of how we can get past that, that, you know, there are there are um, different substitutions we can make, like liquefied natural gas, but it's kind of unclear whether we can really survive without Russia. That's a really good point. And also, I suppose one reason why NATO doesn't want to get actively involved is simply out of fear for avoiding World War III, because if troops from the West actively engage with Russian troops, then we've got a much more major conflict on our hands. Some analysts are suggesting that Western countries are refraining from actively involving themselves militarily in the conflict in order to keep it, I guess, self-contained within Ukraine uh, and the Ukrainian forces against the Russian forces in order to avoid this world war. And you mentioned, of course, economic sanctions, of which there have been many. A few European countries have opted to vote to exclude Russia from the SWIFT banking system, which would cripple their export-import trade because it's the underlying system that tracks and monitors and permits uh, microtransactions and macrotransactions through banking systems. Harrison, what do you know about the current economic measures that are being enforced against Russia and do you think we should be introducing more? Well, as you said, Russia has been banned from SWIFT, which is what governments and corporations use to exchange money to to pay each other. Excluding Russia from SWIFT uh, effectively cuts it off from much of the world's financial system, which cannot be overstated. It's a huge measure. But other than that, uh, countries have passed or are considering major sanctions on Russia and its economy, including the halting of imports and exports, the exclusion of Russia from any economic agreements, And most importantly, I would say, is the seizure and freezing of Russian financial assets, particularly the ones held in foreign banks. Something like, I believe, $630 billion worth of Russian rubles are tied up in non-Russian banks right now, a portion of which have already been frozen or sanctioned, and the, the remainder of which very well could be. Now this could have this could be devastating for the Russian economy, and I cannot understate that enough. Uh, in Russia, the financial markets open at 10 a.m. Moscow time on Monday, and when they do, I think that this could lead to a major meltdown in Russia. When Russia invaded Ukraine initially, we did see a very large downtick in the Russian stock market. I believe to the tune of something between. 35 and 45 percent of the entire Russian economy. There are probably more accurate numbers out there, but that's what I've heard so far. I think that this could be cataclysmic, and I cannot understate this enough. These these sanctions, these freezers, these these freezings, these can be and probably will be cataclysmic for the Russian economy. And if I were Vladimir Putin right now, the leader of Russia, I would be looking for a way to advert this at all costs. Absolutely. And I believe Boris Johnson used the phrase, 
tightening the economic ligature around the Russian regime, which I think is quite a graphic but accurate image of what's taking place in the financial world. Yeah, that sounds like Johnson. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, Bavia, what about, what, what about your opinion on the economic measures? Yeah, I completely agree with Harrison. I think there is a lot of dispute over how effective sanctions can be and how effective they've been in the past. But we mostly see that when sanctions are placed on Russia, regardless of whether they're politically effective and place political pressure on Russia, they are economically effective. So I think we will see that Russia will be greatly impacted by the sanctions placed by the United States and by other NATO countries. In fact, the sanctions Biden has placed on Russia are unprecedented. And in a White House statement from three days ago, the White House states that with today's financial sanctions, so this is from three days ago, we have now targeted all 10 of Russia's largest financial institutions. So we're seeing that the sanctions have greatly intensified back from the buildup to this invasion in fall 2021. And time will only tell if sanctions will intensify further. Yeah, I think I think relating to like kind of the increasing the severity of sanctions, it, it's it's difficult because you know as we all know, Russia's a nuclear power, so it's it's difficult really to 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 know you know the scope of what we can do. One other thing that I thought was quite interesting is um, kind of Putin's motive behind the invasion, because kind of from what I've seen, it's it's relatively ambiguous. So he's he's kind of you know stated that Ukraine uh, are kind of. Have, they have they're trying to commit genocide on Russians and then there's also you know clearly there's we know he's frustrated about uh Ukraine's relations with NATO but it, it, it's it's really unprecedented why kind of Russia decided to invade now or m- maybe it isn't and uh, kind of I'd like to m- know more about why that happened if anyone has any ideas exactly Aiden and following on from what you've said Russia has placed its nuclear arsenal on I quote special mode of combat duty whatever that might mean. It's a form of escalation of their nuclear weaponry, but we don't know at this time exactly what that entails. NATO has responded by saying it was rash and impulsive, but in terms of the nuclear dimension to the conflict, there is this element of so-called mutually assured destruction where it's not beneficial to either side to launch a nuclear attack, because essentially the moment one side does, the other side does as well, and basically everyone dies, and there's no benefit to anyone. So most people, most commentators are suggesting that it's unlikely that this is going to spark any sort of nuclear conflict. But in t- moving back towards the, the conflict presently, we're seeing fighting in the capital, Kiev, and also in the eastern city of Kharkiv, which apparently um, Ukraine has managed to repel Russian troops from. But Kiev is still the focus of much fighting. Kiev is located to the north of the country, quite close to the Belarusian border, um, where Russian troops have entered through, which would explain its position as a locus for the conflict because troops have been able to advance very, very quickly towards the capital. And we have seen a refugee crisis emerge from Ukraine, from this conflict, with something like 350,000 refugees moving rapidly eastwards, either via train into Poland or in their cars, or walking. Well, one question I had about this is: Are, are Russia bound to lose? Are, are, are Ukraine, sorry, bound to lose this war? And and are we just kind of like waiting until their demise? Because uh, you know, or, or or can they put up a front? I, I think Russia wanted a sort of blitzkrieg, very quick conflict, and I think that they they thought by now they would have the entirety of Ukraine under their heel. That I think the fact that Russia only controls a, a portion of Ukraine's land and there's still active resistance, Ukraine still has a, a functioning air force, which is astounding, I might add. 
I think that this speaks. This is a testament to the tenacity and the the will of Ukrainian fighters and Ukraine itself to resist Russian invasion. I think that this war is untenable more for Russia than anyone else. Oh, this uh, okay. the war is, of course, very expensive, and their economy is yeah. not the great not in a great place right now. Yeah, yeah. I think this could. I think in the best case scenario for Ukraine, barring anything like a military coup inside of Russia, yeah, I think this could come to resemble a a USA versus Vietnam style conflict mm, where yeah, Russia becomes yeah. mired in in Ukraine and eventually is forced to retreat by popular opinion or protests or the economy. But I do not think this is tenable. You're saying it kind of it might be like another proxy war similar to Vietnam. And kind of if it, if it does turn into this kind of like war of attrition, then um, what I thought was interesting was, you know, obviously we, we don't we, we don't kind of want to poke the stick at the ticking time bomb that is like the nuclear power. And, and do we really think that kind of even severe economic sanctions are going to end the kind of war of attrition? And 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 also, if if Ukraine is being used as a proxy, um, should we worry kind of about you know, the U- Ukrainian like citizenry as kind of, you know, if we if we look back to the Vietnam War, there was, you know, huge damages to the country, but kind of not the Western powers who were fighting the war in the name of that country. It's not it's not a one to one comparison. I'll give you that. I think yeah. Russia yeah. is going to come out of the even if Russia wins. I think Russia is going to come out of this very, very bruised and bloody, both economically and diplomatically. We're already seeing uh, calls inside the European Union and NATO for expansion in in the face of this Russian aggression. I believe uh, Finland and Sweden have been very serious recently about joining NATO, and I know that there are many voices inside the European Union to fast-track Ukrainian uh, membership, and th- th- what this also might do it'll, is that it'll fast track the the countries who are already in the process of joining NATO and the EU, such as Serbia or Montenegro or maybe even Norway. But of course, that that's all very tentative and re- remains to be seen. I I will be lo- very interested looking back on what this Ukra- this Ukrainian war sparked diplomatically like a year from now that'll be very interesting or even five years and you're absolutely right i think in drawing that comparison although as harrison said there are some caveats but russia's influence is extending further and further westwards less so i'd say than the west's influence is extending further and further eastwards as harrison mentioned there have been countries wanting to join nato and the eu further and further to the Mm -hmm. east of europe and I think this is partly what has set Putin's mind to in a, in a state of panic because yeah I think he's afraid yeah yeah exactly it's a form of Western expansionism although maybe that term's a little too or, or the expansion of a kind of a capitalist sentiment yeah exactly you know? the expansion of those ideals certainly yeah and I, I mean we have seen that kind of trend in countries as as they get richer and more economically stable it's kind of like they move towards uh you know they move towards a capitalist democracy yeah and. And and kind of we, we we can't really say whether that's kind of like cultural influence from the West, which it may well be, or it may just kind of be an effect of growing economic stability in a country. Of course. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Bavia, I guess my next question would be, what do you think of the president of Ukraine? Because 
Obviously, President Zelensky comes from a very unconventional background indeed. He was a, an actor and a comedian before being elected to office. Um, but he has shown surprising, almost astonishing amounts of resilience and courage and bravery in the face of this Russian invasion. Tell me a bit about him as a person and, you know, how do you think he's acting in this situation? Yeah, I think... Uh, Zelensky has handled the situation very, very well, as you stated. I personally didn't know much about him before this conflict came out and before it was overtaking the news, but we've seen we've seen him holding his ground, staying very calm in the face of destruction in his country and invasion. So I think he's handled it very well, and I think his calm is helping Ukraine persist through this because we're seeing that Ukraine has been able to hold Kiev, their capital, which, as Harrison said, Russia was expecting a blitzkrieg, but that's not really what they're getting. We're seeing resistance, we're seeing resilience in Ukraine, and I think a large part of that goes to having a leader that is able to stay calm and keep the country calm with him. Yeah, I think I think that, yeah, like he had you know he has the support of his people, and you know I, I think the same definitely can't be said for Russia. And you know I've, I've heard that there's like you know a large proportion of the Russian people are very much against the conflict. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I believe quite a few oligarchs have come out saying that they do not support Putin in this particular decision, although they have been silent or silenced beforehand. In terms of Zelensky, it's also important that he actually has remained within Ukraine. His presence is seen as very comforting to the citizens of Ukraine. Had he left, and of course the US did offer him an evacuation from the country, had he left, there's a possibility that the army... Uh, Navy and Air Force would not be fighting so diligently and so perseverantly. He is a very strong figurehead. He's been coming out with these sort of regular video updates at night and in the morning, showing that he's still in the city with his security force, urging his people to be vigilant and to take up arms and to defend the country against the Russian invaders. A very unconventional and unorthodox politician, but nonetheless one that's doing very well in the face of an immense task at hand, which is to repel Russian troops. Yeah, and I think you make a wonderful point about his videos that he's releasing to his citizens. Um, I think that distinction in how Zelensky and how Putin rule their people in Ukraine versus Russia contributes a lot to how the people react to their leader. I mean, Zelensky seems to be far more in touch with his people, interacting with them more directly, where Putin kind of seems a little more detached from his people. So I think I think that definitely contributes to what Aiden was saying about how Russia oh, yes. is reacting to the conflict versus how Ukraine, the Ukrainian people are reacting. I suppose to add on to that, you know, we're talking about historical context. We're talking about economic context, diplomatic context. The bottom line of the situation, there, it, it, it's got to be terrifying for the citizens. I mean, I can't even imagine waking up in a London that was subsumed by a conflict of the scale that we've seen. And it's really sobering yeah. and humbling to think of the struggles that the ordinary people are going through. There was footage of women and children crafting Molotov cocktails to repel the invaders. On the other side of the same coin, perhaps, there was footage of people creating supply packages for those who had to flee or were displaced. What Russia, I think, is doing, and I, th this is one theory out of many for why they invaded Ukraine, is that not only are they going for natural resources and, as a, and to secure a, a defensive buffer, but also to secure one, uh, one resource that is not talked about very much, and that is young men. Because those are the the fighting age people, the the young women can as well, but in the context of the the Russian military, 
young men and women are crucial to Russia's future. And right now, those are a rare breed in that country. Uh, we see this in Japan to a, to a greater extent, in Germany to a much lesser extent. But in Russia right now, we cannot ignore the demographic crisis that they are facing and that will only worsen as the years roll on. If Russia can subsume Ukraine in whole or in part, then this will alleviate this crisis for many years. And if I, if I were a demographer right now, looking at what, what Russia is doing, I would say it's a, it's a smart move, but one that could very possibly backfire. Because, of course, the Ukrainian people, I would say, are very resilient. They're very anti-Russia. And I don't nationalist. Of yeah. course, of course. So I don't think it's a very good calculation, but it, it may be one that's made more out of desperation than any economic reasoning. Yeah, you could be totally right. But of course, that does bring up the question, even if Russia take over the command and control centers of Ukraine, will the people continue to fight? Will they continue to combat Russian saboteurs until the Ukrainian people are completely quashed? There is a very strong nationalist sentiment, as Aidan mentioned, in Ukraine, partly spurred by anti-Russian sentiment, partly spurred by pro-NATO sentiment, partly spurred by pro-democratic and capitalist ideals, partly spurred by Zelensky's ongoing presence and his strength. But this is something that's existed for a long time now, and ever since the annexation of Crimea, Ukraine has been very wary of, of Russian approaches. And now that this has finally happened, they are prepared, they are ready, at least psychologically, for what has happened. And they are going to fight, I'd say, continuously even if Russia take control of Kiev or or take control yeah. of the presidential office and I, I don't think necessarily that the young men and women of, of Ukraine will be willing to join the Russian workforce and assimilate into Russia without a fight Absolutely. very easily without a fight yeah well I mean in response to that I mean, do you think Ukraine is going to win this war Especially with its support from the West, that is that or is is it doomed to fail? That, that's the, that, that's the, 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 <laughs> that's yeah. The question, I was about yeah. to say the same thing. I would say Ukraine is definitely the underdog here, but I would not count them out yeah. just yet. I think there is a definite chance that that, especially with how they've been doing so far, mm -hmm. that Ukraine can um, perhaps beat back or at least beat the Russians to the negotiating table. That because that that may be their their only salvation as far as many in the country are concerned yeah and something i just like to throw in going back to that nationalist sentiment so right now most of the invasion is taking place in kiev which is located a little bit further to the east but the west of ukraine was never actually ruled by imperialist russia so cities such as lviv where the u.s moved their embassy officials have stronger nationalist sentiment than anywhere else in ukraine so if we are going to see Russia get to Lviv and Western Ukraine, I think it's going to be very interesting. I'm very curious to see how people will, re will react and whether that could possibly change the course of the invasion, the course of the conflict, because, I mean, the people play a large part in how things play out, even though we look to economics and politics so much. I mean, the people really will decide the outcome of this, I think. Yeah, and it's not even curiosity, but also fear for me because if they do put up a fight we could see a bit of a bloodbath especially as you say in the west of ukraine and i mean it's not it's not fair of us who sit in our chairs so far away removed from this conflict to say don't fight you know stop fighting <laughs> don't get yourself killed 
you know, they will do what they will do and they will do what they feel is right. And in some way, that's a very powerful thing that they have. They yeah, have their autonomy, yeah, yeah. they mm. have their power, they have their independence to make their decisions. And if, if they choose to fight, well, then there's nothing we can do about that. And in some ways, that's something that we've got to respect and appreciate from them. We, we do, you know, we see like kind of because of the threat of mutually assured destruction, we don't see kind of direct military conflict between world powers. And it's it's just so interesting to me how kind of Ukraine, uh, well, it, it is kind of serving as a, as a bit of a proxy because, you know, Russia has invaded Ukraine and then we still are under the threat of mutually assured destruction since we, you know, the West and the East are full of nuclear powers. And it's just uh, the, the, the fact that, you know, this has happened, an open military conflict can kind of exist and and you know it's almost the same as an open war since the west are sending so many so many weapons to ukraine but the sentiment has changed in a way where nu- kind of nuclear weapons are off the table and both sides are kind of under the assumption that that's the case or it, that's kind of how it seems to be you're absolutely right aiden and i'd also add that most analysts suggest that the ukrainian army is slowing the Russian army much more than both the US and Russia expected. Not only did Russia expect, as Harrison said, a blitzkrieg campaign and a a very quick victory, but even US intelligence officials assumed Ukraine would be overrun very quickly. But it's a good omen that there's been such strong resistance and perhaps the war will turn in Ukraine's favour and Russia will have to be forced to depart. But if they do so, if they fold now then they've already lost so much they've lost their diplomatic ties they've lost their economic stability maybe they'll just go all in and see what happens that's what i'm most afraid of harrison in the same vein what about you what do you think is going to happen well i think there are two very distinct scenarios that are the most likely now i don't say that i don't think that these are the only possible paths that the future might take, but I think these are the most likely. Um, Number one, I think Ukraine is able to fight Russia to a standstill and maybe take back some key territory and are able to meet them as equals at the negotiating table. I don't think it's likely that we see a full Ukrainian reconquest of all the territories that, that Russia has taken, but I think that they can Beat that they can wear them down enough in a war in a war of attrition that Russia is forced to acquiesce and meet them in in negotiations and what these negotiations could entail is could could be anything I guess that that depends on how how much the the Ukrainians fight back uh, how the international the international diplomatic situation is taking taking place what the economy is like and that all remains to be seen. The other option, I believe, is that Russia is able to, with a great cost to life and limb, not to mention the economic and diplomatic consequences, are able to take Ukraine in part or in whole. And I think that this would lead to a repeat of history, I believe. It would mirror almost tit-for-tat the Soviet invasion of, of Afghanistan, which of course, I, as I'm sure most of us know, did not end well for the Soviets. This Now this invasion, I'll give you a brief history lesson, lesson occurred in the 1980s. It, it, it devolved into a big quagmire with Russia taking over much of the, the country, but with there being such fierce resistance that eventually the Russian occupation became untenable. And this was a factor that led to the USSR collapsing. 
Now, I don't know whether this could happen with Russia, whether whether Russia could collapse in the way that the Soviet Union did, but it could lead to a lot of instability w within the country, and that could lead to some, maybe some military actions against whoever leads Russia at that point. I don't think that I don't think that Putin's hold on Russia is very stable, especially in that scenario. And overall, I don't see a scenario where Russia wins. And I, I mean, I, they can have a Pyrrhic victory with them taking, taking Ukraine and then suffering consequences for the, for the next few decades, or they can lose outright. But I don't think there's any scenario in where the Russians come out on top in any sense of the word. You're absolutely right. I mean, they've passed a point of no return in terms of their economic and diplomatic ties. And Harrison, I think you made a wonderful point about how many factors are going into this conflict. Like, there is, there's so much complexity to this issue, like an invasion with so much historical background to it and how the people react, how NATO reacts, how how Ukraine reacts, how, how even the Russian people react. So I just think given the complexity of this issue and any other similar issues that we've seen in the past, like there's no, there's really no way we can predict exactly how this will go because any of those factors could change with like a single second. Anything could change so quickly. And obviously information could change tomorrow or in the next hour. So I just think living in the middle of this or living while it's happening, um, we're going to see that a lot of things will continue to change and we're going to see... Um, we're just going to see how it plays out, I guess. Yeah, Russia aren't the economic powerhouse that you know the US or China are. So you know, they, it's it's reassuring to know that I, you know, they may not be able to keep up with this for a long time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there are some peripheral events taking place around this as well. For instance, the World Health Organization has stated that because of falling oxygen supplies in Ukraine, thousands of lives are now at risk. The Pope has condemned the crisis, and there is a talk of initial negotiations between Ukraine and Russia. Russia has dropped its so-called preconditions. At, at the time of recording, Russia has dropped its preconditions for talks. So hopefully there should be some initial negotiations taking place. Some analysts stated that diplomacy was dead because it seemed like Russia had planned this all along and the diplomatic talks were just a facade for continuing Russian military preparations. And also all of Putin's video messages in terms of his mobilization were all recorded in the same outfit, which according to some people meant that they'd all been recorded together at some point and then just distributed at different times, which meant that all of it would have been entirely planned, at least in terms of the initial stages of the conflict. I really do believe that there are still hopes for diplomatic efforts. And that is, I suppose, our third scenario that we've talked about, Harrison, in terms of the first one being Russia going all in and uh, experiencing a Pyrrhic victory in Ukraine and continuing to having to fight the, mm. the proud Ukrainian people. And on the other hand, withdrawing now uh, into its isolationist cage and trying to make up for its economic issues. The third option could be that we reach some sort of diplomatic agreement it's unlikely that ukraine will be conceding much i don't think it will be conceding any territory in those negotiations unless it really has to which it doesn't because it, it doesn't have the lower ground if it doesn't have the upper ground then it doesn't have the lower mm. ground in this conflict and i don't think russia will be planning to concede much either because it just doesn't have the capacity to do so in its current situation so 
I, I believe that there is hope for the diplomatic efforts, but I, I, I worry that those would just not be effective, given that both sides have a very clear position in terms of this unfolding conflict. Absolutely. Well, folks, the situation continues to evolve very rapidly. So some of the information in this podcast might be outdated by the time we distribute it or by the time you listen to it. So please go and check uh, online uh, from a reputable news source what is the most up-to-date information. But currently, we're at a bit of a, a stalemate, not in terms of the activity of the fighting, because the fighting is ongoing, it's active, the crisis is pressing and urgent. But in terms of the broader strategic level of things, Russia is experiencing a lot of setbacks. Ukraine is fighting hard, but is still conceding territory. It's a very complex and nuanced situation, and we've explored most of the elements here. So that is all we have time for on today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please send us an email. What are your thoughts about the conflict? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think Russia has a lot to lose, or do you think they've lost it all already? Please email us, theirisnewspodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts. We'll read out anything interesting in the next episode. But from now, it is bye from me. It's bye from Bavia. Bye. It's bye from Harrison. Bye now. And it's bye from our special guest star, Aiden. Bye.